including um, a new couple we're trying to send to Japan. Last week, we focused our message on the topic of justice. We looked at the work the International Justice Mission was doing. We looked at what the scriptures say about justice in the Bible. We looked at uh, the idea of, of poverty and how that's related and how the abuse of, of power and authority leads people to oppress others and how God and the gospel come to bring freedom from that. Over the next few weeks, what I want to do is look at some of the feasts that God calls his people in the Old Testament to celebrate. This is something that most modern Christians, particularly uh, in the West, uh, do not know much about. As you've heard me talk in the past, um, I, I love the Old Testament. And especially when we get to books like Leviticus, I have repeatedly mentioned that the modern church really has almost thrown those out the window. They don't usually study them, they don't preach them, um, they don't do Bible studies on them, and they really don't know what they're for. Um, and we often just claim that, you know, Christ fulfilled the law, and so we're done with the Old Testament, which is a complete misunderstanding of the text. And so the next couple of weeks, leading up to the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, which is about five weeks away, um, I want to focus on these feasts. And uh, one of the reasons I'm doing that is because today is one of those feast days that uh, Jews around the world will be celebrating today and tomorrow. And so um, you'll see we're going to focus on a few of these and in detail, particularly uh, three of them, because this time of the year, the fall feasts, um, they all come together, as you'll see. But these, these ideas of the feasts, if you were to add up the days that were set aside for the Sabbath, okay, you, you know we'll talk about the Sabbath in a minute, but that's the Saturday, okay, the seventh day. If you were to add up the days set aside for the Sabbath, okay, which is 52, you add in the movable feasts of the new moon, that's one per month, so there's 12 more of them, and then the holy convocations and special days of the three great festivals, so there's six more days, you end up with 70 out of 365 days. It's almost 20% of the year. So when we look at this idea of these feast days, these festivals that God gives to his people, okay, in the Old Testament, and that Jesus celebrated, and that the apostles celebrated, in fact, some would argue that the Gospel of John is structured around these celebrations. When Jesus is going to Jerusalem, it is normally because he is going there to celebrate one of these festivals. And so 20% of the, the year's time, God had set apart for these appointed times. And yet, we know very little about them. And so today will be a little bit of an introduction and a discussion of one of these. And over the next few weeks, uh, my goal is simply to unpack a little bit of this so that all of us have a better understanding. Okay, we're not going to be experts after a few weeks, but I want us to have a better understanding of, of these feasts. So the seven feasts. Now, in order to understand how these feasts work, there's a few things that we're going to have to look at related to the culture of the biblical time period. So this might be foreign to you. So, for instance, the biblical day. You think of the day as starting when, when you get up in the morning. But as we will see, when you look at the feast days, they often begin in the evening. And so we have to adjust our time when we think about this. And so 
if you were to Google when is a certain feast, okay, so we're, we're going to talk about the, the trumpets today, okay, the day of trumpets. Now, so that would begin, if you Googled it, in the evening, and it would go through the next day. And actually, it's often celebrated over a two-day time period um, in the Jewish culture. And so that's today and tomorrow. And so this is one of the reasons we're doing this right now is because uh, I didn't plan this originally, that last week was Freedom Sunday, uh, and then today uh, was actually the Feast of Trumpets. And the next two weeks is two more feasts that we'll talk about, but it worked out perfectly. And so that's what we're going to uh, focus on. You look at the, the screen here, and this is just an example. This is not the one we're going to talk about today. But um, Nissan, we're not talking about the truck, okay, or the car. We're talking about a month, okay, a biblical month. And the point here is that you have Thursday and Friday at the top, and you have the fifth and the sixth, okay? This is just for an example sake, all right? We think of Thursday starting the fifth in the morning, all right? That's the first part of the day, and it ends after the nighttime, you know, the moon. But in the Jewish culture, what we have here is the day is going to start at night, and it goes to what we would call the next morning, all right? And so it covers what you and I think of as two days, Thursday and Friday, but it's really just one day, that time period there. And so we have to adjust some of our thinking, okay? Um, the Passover is maybe the easiest one for you to understand. That's one that we will talk about a little bit, but that's actually a spring festival, and so we won't do a full-blown um, discussion of it, but I will discuss it in a couple of weeks. But with that one, if you know anything about the story, you know that the people fled at nighttime, okay? And that they um, roasted the lamb, and they ate it, and then they put the blood in the doorpost all at nighttime before the death angel came. And so you see, that fits in with what we're talking about here as well. So maybe that idea will help you uh, relate to these. And so that's about the day. But what about the week? Okay? Our week, we often get confused. When I teach about week or I ask people, I won't ask you now because I won't um, want to embarrass you, especially because I've told several of you a dozen of times, but what, what is the Sabbath? I often get Christians to tell me it's Sunday, which it's not. Okay? So today is Sunday. All right? It's not Saturday. Today is Sunday. And we are worshiping Jesus today, right? But the Sabbath actually was always the seventh day, and that's Saturday. So if you see up here, you'll see Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and those are the, the Hebrew names under them. Um, Yom simply means day, okay? So that's the day. But Sunday is the first day of the week. And why do Christians celebrate on the first day of the week? We celebrate the resurrection, which clearly the scriptures, the gospels say, happened on the first day. Early in the morning on the first day of the week, the ladies went to go to the tomb, and the tomb was empty. So the resurrection, we're celebrating the resurrection. We have new life in Jesus through his resurrection. So that's what we're celebrating, which I would argue is, is related actually to these Old Testament feasts, but we'll get into that in a, in a little bit. If you were to look, you want to write any of these scriptures down in Matthew 28, 1, or Mark 16, 2, and 9, or Luke 24, 1, or John 21 and 9, they all refer to what I was just saying, that Jesus on the, the first day, the week, that's the resurrection, and the ladies went, and that's why we celebrate it, okay? But <clears throat> that's Sunday, all right? 
if you go to Genesis chapter 2, 2 to 3, okay, so we're talking first book of the Bible, second chapter, it says, by the seventh day, God completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So he's been creating for how many days? Six days, and now it's the seventh day, right? And so the seventh day is this day where he rested from the creation, and so it is the Sabbath, okay? So that would mean that he was working on which day? Sunday, exactly, right? Because Sunday was the first day, right? If you put all this together. You all with me on this? All right. Now, in the, the first century, when the first followers of Jesus were worshiping, okay, they didn't necessarily have Sunday off. They got up early in the morning and would come together and worship together, and then they'd have to go to work, and then they'd come back together and worship some more. So, see, the culture hadn't given them, like in the West, how in America, it's changing now. We have more and more people working on Sundays, but for a long time, we had these blue laws, and we had Sundays off, and, you know, Christians had the day to relax and worship God and get together at church, but see, that's changing. We're going back more towards the first century. We still have to decide, what are we going to do with our time? God blessed the seventh day. He declared it holy, for on it he had rested from his work of creation. So who decided that this day was going to be holy, and holy means set apart? Yeah. God did, exactly, okay? So God decided, okay? Adam didn't just make it up. Hey, I think this is the day I'm going to set apart. No, God decided this is the day that we're going to set apart. Yes? Hang on to that question, all right? And so God sets this up from the time of creation and all throughout the Bible. The idea of Sabbath, okay, relating to rest, and the Sabbath being the seventh day of the week, okay? So the idea of a special Sunday each week doesn't occur until after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So let's look back at Leviticus chapter 23, all right? Now Leviticus 23 happens to be in a book that I have come to, to really love, as some of you know, um, and that kind of happened a couple years ago when I was asked by um, the Baptist College of Florida if I would teach a class on Leviticus. And I thought, a whole class just on Leviticus? Um, and then, because I didn't want to spread it out over the whole summer, they wanted me to do it in the summer, I said, okay, I'll do it, but I'm going to do it in one week only. Eight hours a day, five days. Now, in hindsight, I don't know if that was a good idea, but... So, um, I read and studied about Leviticus, and then I taught it for 40 hours in one week. And... The thing that I learned, it was, uh, it was torturous as far as sleep went that week, but uh, it was great as far as understanding some things in Scripture. Um, Leviticus is about worship. If you think Leviticus is just sacrifices for Old Testament times, it doesn't matter today, then you missed the point of Leviticus. Leviticus is about worship. It's about worshiping God. It's about the last song that we just sang about preparing ourselves and having pure hearts and clean hands so that we can be with God, so that we can enjoy his presence. You see, in Genesis, to give you a quick background on, on the Old Testament storyline, in Genesis, after God created, it didn't take long before Adam and Eve rebelled and disobeyed God, and they got kicked out of the garden. Well, being in the garden was being with God, was being in God's presence, and now they're kicked out. They're out of God's presence, and that's what sin does to us. 
In fact, that is what hell ultimately is, is separation from God, whereas heaven is in the complete presence of God in his kingdom. And so when Adam and Eve were kicked out, and the, the story of Genesis continues, and, and, and God, you know, in, in chapter 12, he, he chooses Abraham, he's going to create a nation, and all this unfolds through Genesis. And then by the end of Genesis, uh, the people are in the land of Egypt, and they're slaves. And then God sends another man, Moses, in there to free them out. We sang a song about that, Let My People Go. Okay? And so now there's a couple million of his people. He's, he's creating enough to have a nation like he promised to Abraham. And so now he's going to put them into the promised land, which he also promised Abraham. So God's people and God's place, the promised land, and God's presence. And so that's Exodus. And the end of Exodus, you have the tabernacle being built. The tabernacle is a big tent. It's movable. It's a place where God is going to come meet with his people. It's called the tent of meeting. The meeting of who? God and his people. And so as God is going to come meet with his people... We now have the book of Leviticus. And Leviticus is all about, since I'm going to come meet with you, I'm going to dwell with you, what do you need to do? What do you need to be like? You need to get ready to be in my presence. And that's what Leviticus is about. That's why there's so many sacrifices. It's about how do you worship God? How do you live in God's presence? And as we just finished up our 30-week our Believe series, we ended on this note of loving God and loving others which comes right out of Leviticus 19.18, to love your neighbor, which Jesus quotes in the Gospels as the greatest command. And so Leviticus is hugely important for the life of the church and the New Testament. The book of Hebrews, by the way, you cannot understand if you don't understand Leviticus because it's completely based on it. And so I say all that to help us understand that the idea of worship is what Leviticus is all about. And so we get to Leviticus uh, 23, and in Leviticus 23, God outlines for us these different festivals or feast days or appointed times, to use the terminology that's actually in the text. These appointed times of what you're supposed to do throughout the year. And so in Leviticus 23.3, he says, Work may be done for six days, but on the seventh day there must be a Sabbath of complete rest, a sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord wherever you live. Now, is, is that new? No, because we already got that in Genesis, right? So that's a repeat, right? Now, the end part, he says you do that wherever you live. So he's telling his people... Whether you're in uh, Jerusalem or Nazareth or Bethlehem or whether you're in Babylon or wherever you are, that day of the week is a day set aside. That's an appointed time, and I want you to follow through on this. Now, <clears throat> Gleason Archer is an Old Testament scholar. He says the religious year is dominated by the sacred number seven. Now, if you didn't know this before, seven is all through the Bible. It has to do with the idea of completeness and wholeness, the perfect work of God. And here's just a few of the aspects related to these festivals. So every seventh day is a Sabbath. You know that one, right? Every seventh year is a Sabbath year of rest for the land. You might have known that. Some of you might not have. After seven sevens of years, you get the next one is the 50th year. That's the, the Jubilee year. That's when everything's reset. Your mortgage goes to zero. Your debt goes to zero. Everything's reset. Okay, this is all part of God's plan, all right? 
Um, Passover is held at the end of the, the a second group of these sevens on the evening of the 14th. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is celebrated for the next seven days. The Feast of Pentecost is celebrated after seven sevens of days following the offering of the, the waving of the, the sheaves, okay, which is, becomes the 50th, just like that Jubilee year. Seven sevens and the next day, or next one is 50. The seventh month, okay, Tishri is especially sanctified by three holy days. We're going to talk about those. The Feast of Trumpets, today. Day of Atonement, next week. Tabernacles, the week after. So all of these... and. And then the Feast of Tabernacles is seven days long, okay? And so you have seven, 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 all over the place, all right? God is obviously trying to tell us something. So in Leviticus 23.3, we have this idea of Sabbath day. That's, that's every week, all right? So 50, 52 of those a year, right? God is reminding us that who's really in charge? He is. He is. Now, let me just take just a, just a second on this Sabbath day thing for a minute. We live in a culture that is a, a rat-paced work, 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 all right? And I know this because this is something that I struggle with, okay? Working all the time <clears throat> to make ends meet, to do this, to do that. And, and what God calls us to in the Sabbath day is to let go and realize that you don't hold the things together. He holds the things together. What he's calling us to in the Sabbath is to realize, and for his people all through the Old Testament, was to realize that even the crops of the land. Can you imagine if you're a farmer? The seventh year, that the land does not get plowed and planted. God promised his people that if they would obey him and love him and follow through on this, that he would give them enough the previous year to get them through that year Plus the next year, and get this, you got to get into the, the next year also, the third year as well, because you didn't have anything that you grew in that middle year. God is promising that I will take care of you. And this is a trust issue. Do you really trust that by not planting the ground this year, you're going to get through the next year? It's a trust issue. And really, that's what the whole Bible is about. That's what salvation is about. We come in on Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. If you're not trusting Jesus, you don't have salvation. It's about trusting God. And all through the Old Testament, we read how his people, time after time, rebelled. They stopped trusting him. And it's the same thing that you and I struggle with every, every day, every week. And we have to repent about this. So in Leviticus 23.3, we have this reminder about the Sabbath. They're going to do this wherever they live. But if we go back to the, the first two verses in Leviticus 23, verse 1 and 2. Now, this first verse is actually key to the book of Leviticus. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses. Now, all through Leviticus, this phrase shows up. And it's very important because it is one of the books that has the most used. This phrase is used the most in that book. God literally speaking, all right? He speaks to Moses, and he says, this is what I want done. So then he says, speak to the Israelites and tell them, these are my appointed times. That's the key phrase, appointed times. The times of the Lord that you will proclaim as sacred assemblies. So appointed times, sacred assemblies, and you're supposed to proclaim it. So it's not just for an individual. This is a public thing. Together, God's people are supposed to do this. 
So when God speaks directly to Moses and tells him something, do you think it's important? Yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit, right? Because it's God that spoke. Moses isn't making this up. God said, this is what I want done. This is how it's supposed to be. And so he speaks here to Moses. And again, I want to remind you what is going on in the context of Leviticus back in that time period. God is getting his people ready to be in his presence, to be in God's presence. Holy, clean hands, pure heart. That's how we have to be. We've got to be trusting God with all of our lives, with what we're doing, with him providing for us. He is the great provider. Now, to understand a little bit about these appointed times, you've got to understand a little more about their culture. And so you need to understand a little bit about the moon. So the moon cycle is the next slide on the screen. And you have to understand the new moon because the new moon, which occurred every month, that was the beginning of the month for them. And someone would actually watch for this. Now, today it's all scientifically figured out, so they know when the new moons are coming. But then you actually watch and you tell from the sky. And so you go through this whole uh, pattern. You can follow the arrows there. That the new moon, okay, <coughs> going up to the top and going counterclockwise around. And you can see kind of the phases of the moon, okay? So full moon is like halfway, right? And then it, go, it starts getting smaller until it's, it's all covered up by... Uh, the new moon phase again. Now, this is important because this is how the Israelites' calendar was set up. It was based on the, the moon. So the moon cycle, the next slide. <coughs> the old, the full, and then the new moon. It was around 30 days. You say, well, 30 days. <coughs> yep, 30 days. So that's similar to our months, but it's a little bit off, okay? And so even our months, if you look at them, they have, we have 28-day months, we have 31-day months. And why is that? It's to keep the year kind of about the same, probably goes back to agricultural cycles, which is similar for them as well. And so actually, every few years in their calendar, they throw an extra month in. Because 12 times 30 is 360, right? And we have how many days? 365, right? And so every few years, you're going to be off. And if that continues, pretty soon your, your harvest festival will be in springtime or something, right? It'll be in the wrong time of year. So every few years, they actually threw an extra month in there to even out the calendar, which is why people have a hard time, if you don't have a Jewish background, of knowing when these festivals are. Because you and I are used to the same time always. So we say, you know, when is Thanksgiving? Or when is Christmas? Or when is Easter? Or whatever, right? It's a certain day, right? Just like your birthday. It's always the same, right? Well, the thing is, there's a little bit of variance with their month because it was based on these new moons. And so, <coughs> yes, they have the date the same. Okay, so what we're going to talk about today, the trumpets, it was on the, around the second, okay? First, second of, of Tishri. But when does that happen? It's a little bit different all the time. All right? So... Hopefully you're all with me. So let's look at the biblical calendar for a minute. <clears throat> all right? So the, the black months inside, obviously, are ours. Those are the ones you all understand. All right? If you look on the outside, however, these are the months that you're not familiar with. And um, basically what happened is when the, when the Jews got exiled into Babylon, they picked up the Babylonian names, 
and they kind of stuck with most of them. And so that's where a lot of them come from. But the first month of the year is Nissan. Okay? So again, not the car and truck, right? So Nissan. And that corresponds to March or April for us. That is spring. Okay? We, okay, today are way down in the bottom half, the seventh month, Tishri. Okay? And that's the one we're going to be talking about today. But I need you to understand this, that these are, are the months that we look at. There are three festivals all grouped up at the top, and there's three more grouped at the bottom, and then you have one on each side. Now, the one over on the left, Hanukkah, that wasn't part of uh, the Old Testament time period, okay? That was added later. But if you look at the top, in the month of Nisan, you have three special holidays, okay? Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits, and they all come together. And even weeks, or Pentecost, is related to them, because it's countered from first fruits. So you have three in the spring, and then one in the summer, or most people just put them all together, four in the spring, okay? And then down at the bottom, you've got trumpets, day of atonement, and tabernacles, one, two, three, all together in the month of Tishri. So, you have some very significant months. Nisan, and Tishri, and then wherever your Pentecost falls on top of that, all right? So these are very, very important to the Jewish faith all through uh, the Bible. Uh, Jesus was celebrating these. If you look again at the Gospel of John in particular, some of the things he talks about only make sense in the light of these feasts and festivals. All right? So how many total are there? Seven. Okay? What's our, what's our special number? Seven, right? So four and three. All right, four in the spring, three in the fall. All right, now, of these pilgrimages, okay, there's three pilgrimages that were expected to be made by all the adult men. That means they were expected, okay, to travel to Jerusalem for this festival, all right? Three times a year. There are Passover, weeks, which is called Pentecost, and tabernacles, all right? So these three times, now, listen, they didn't have cars, no airplanes, no trains, okay? Not even bicycles. So this is a long trek. Remember, I said earlier, about 20% of their calendar is focused on special days for God. Now you, add, you have to add to that the travel time. Three of these, they're supposed to go to Israel, right, to Jerusalem. And so travel time on top of that. Now, let's just stop here and, and step back for a minute. A lot of times, God is pictured as this angry old man, all right? And, and our culture and various cultures, very judgmental. Now, there, there is judgment and justice with God, don't get me wrong. But what does he have pictured for us here with all of these different festival days? This is celebration time, the majority of it. So 20% of the, of the year... Okay, plus all your travel time. What, what does God want? Does, does he want your entire life to be drudgery? No. He planned this out that a significant portion of your life was celebrating with God's people, God. So, is Sunday worship important? Yeah, you know why? Because it's God's people coming together to celebrate God. That's why. And all through scripture, that's what getting together is pretty much about. If you don't like God's people getting together to celebrate God, then you ain't going to like heaven. 
Because what do you think heaven is? God's people all together in God's place, in God's presence, celebrating how awesome God is. Right? That's what it is. So, these biblical holidays. <clears throat> now, many Christians don't realize this, and some would disagree with this. But I believe that in Scripture we find that the holidays, okay, or holy days, or appointed times that God has set aside are directly connected with the life of Christ and with God's plan through the ages. So, we will not have time to unpack every aspect of this, but if you look here, you have the spring holidays and the fall holidays, okay? Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits and Pentecost, trumpets, day of atonement, and tabernacles, okay? Now, the first four were fulfilled at Jesus' first coming. The second three are fulfilled at his second coming. What does this mean? What this means is that these celebrations that God had his people do all through the Old Testament pointed forward to something bigger than what they were doing. Just like the sacrificial lamb that they would sacrifice each year, which was pointing towards the Day of Atonement, which was pointed towards Jesus Christ, who is the true atonement for our sins. The book of Hebrews unpacks that one for us. And so you have to come to the, the scriptures with a new understanding of what God is doing. That God is, is showing you shadows of things, and we need to see the reality of the things. All right? Now, some people will argue with Colossians 2.17 um, that because these are shadows and Jesus is the real thing, that they don't matter again. And again, I'm, I'm going to disagree um, because I don't think we throw away three-quarters of the Bible, the Old Testament, because Jesus came. Jesus said he came to fulfill, not cast away. All right? He is the fulfillment. It's still part of what God has given us. All right? And so we need to, to wrestle with what that means. And it's true. You've got to wrestle with some of it. But we need to see what is God doing and what is he trying to tell us to do. One of the things with these festivals, okay, is what do you think all of the neighboring cultures thought? Now, every culture has, has special days, right? But think about all these days that God's people in the Old Testament had that were set aside to worship him. What message were they sending to the rest of the culture? That God is important. What message do you send to people when you gather together with God's people on a Sunday? What message do you send to people when you say, I'm sorry, I already have something I do that day. I'm, I'm with my church family. What message do we send when we demonstrate by these days, okay, that God is first and foremost in our life? That's one of the things that God was having his people do as well. It was also almost an evangelistic tool that was used as well. I'm not saying that was the primary point. I'm just saying that that is part of what's going on in the culture as well. And so these seven feasts of the Lord, you can go to the next slide, Peter, and how they are fulfilled. The Passover is fulfilled the death of, on the cross of Jesus being our Passover lamb. The unleavened bread is the burial of Jesus. The, the first fruits, they're resurrected on the third day. He's, he, Jesus, is the first fruits. Okay, first fruits means the first portion. Okay, that whole feast 
is about the fact that uh, the first bit of grain that comes, all right, is a promise that there's more to come. It's like a down payment on your mortgage. You give them a little bit up front when you buy your house, all right, and it's a promise that you're going to pay the rest, all right? The Holy Spirit, okay, is the down payment by God that we are going to get the rest. What's the rest? Himself, the kingdom of God, heaven. The Holy Spirit's the down payment. Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit, which is what I just said. Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and Tabernacles are things that are yet future. Okay? This is still to occur in God's timetable. The return to earth, the judgment, and the millennial kingdom. When? I don't know. But they're going to be these fulfillment of these other aspects of these feast days, of these special days. <laughs> so if you just put them in the next slide, Peter, um, in your head as an image, okay, just see how they're grouped together. You get the three and one, the four, and then the three. All right? And so these two sections of, of time throughout the year are highly important. And so with that, and that was pretty much all introduction, all right? Because today what we need to do is we get, need to get our heads wrapped a little bit around this idea that's unfamiliar to a lot of us. And so today is Rosh Hashanah, okay? Rosh Hashanah means the head of the year. It's kind of like a New Year celebration, but it, it's not so much like our New Year's that we think about. It, it's more of a, um, a somber New Year, and I'll explain why in a minute. It's one of the three fall celebrations that I've mentioned occurs on the first day of the seventh month, Tishri, okay? <clears throat> it's being celebrated today by observant uh, Jews, and it is known in the Bible um, not as Rosh Hashanah, but as the Feast of Trumpets, okay? So trumpets, so just think of trumpets. Now, unfortunately, when you're thinking of trumpets, you're not thinking of the same trumpet that uh, they're talking about, but either way, at least you'll get the idea. It's the Feast of Trumpets, okay? It comes from the fact that the trumpets were to be blown on this day. This was the end of the agricultural year and the beginning of the next. So the whole idea of, of the new year. Um, in, in Judaism and in the biblical storyline, they, they kind of have several new years, up to four, depending on how you want to count them. Because um, the Exodus and the Passover is, is a new year for them also. But... With the biblical calendar, okay, so I'm going to put the calendar back up on the screen again for you. <coughs> the Feast of Trumpets, okay, as we've already mentioned, is the first of these three down on the bottom of Tishri, okay, the month of Tishri, the seventh month um, in the fall. And so we'll look at Trumpets today, Day of Atonement next week, which is super important, and the, the Feast or Festival of Booths or Tabernacles the following week, all right? So... Let's go back to Leviticus 23 and see what God said to Moses again. So the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, on the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of Sabbath rest. A sacred assembly commemorated with what? Trumpet, trumpet blasts. And this is why it's called trumpets, okay? Trumpet blasts. Do no regular work, but present a food offering to the Lord. So this is a day celebrated by these blasts of the trumpet. Now, it's really not a trumpet. It is a shofar, okay? The shofar blowing, all right, is it's a ram's horn, all right? Now, when, when they were looking for the new moon, okay, they, they would blow the trumpet or the ram's horn, the shofar. Um, they would use this shofar for many other things as well. 
And so the trumpet's most common use was actually in war. All right? It was a summons to war. Look at Job 39.24 or Jeremiah 4.19 to see that. It also marks the commencement of an attack in Judges 3.27 or to signal the end of an attack in 2 Samuel 2.28. It warned of coming attacks. So you can see a lot of this is war imagery, okay? Just like trumpets were used in, in wars, right? Bugles, etc. They're also used to call public attention to something. In other words, to get everybody's attention. Hey, guys, let's round everybody up, okay? It's time for a special day, for instance. In the New Testament, a trumpet serves in particular as an eschatological image, that means end times, to declare the coming of Christ in judgment. And this appears to combine a number of the trumpet functions, both a summoning, a warning, a call to arms, and an announcement of kingship. Most of you, many of you know, what is going to be the sound when Christ returns? The trumpet will sound, right? The shofar will sound. It is an announcement. It is a signal. And the whole world will look up. And the scripture says all will see Christ as he returns on the clouds. And so this, the Feast of Trumpets, is actually related to that return of Christ. The book of Revelation depicts a series of seven trumpets six of which announce various disasters and judgments coming upon the earth. The seventh climactic trumpet in Revelation 11:15 signals the complete investiture of Christ and the beginning of his total and eternal do uh, domination and dominion of the world. The battle's over. Christ's coming. Christ takes it all. This is it. So you find that the Feast of Trumpets is public, it's not private, and it's for the whole community. That's another thing that I want to dispel as a myth. Many people think Leviticus is all about rules for the priests. Not so. Yes, there are rules for the priests. But Leviticus is mostly about how the people of God are supposed to live their lives. All right? It's not just for the priests. So Numbers 29, 1 through 6 details the account of the different sacrifices that are to be made on this day of trumpets. And so here we read, you are to hold a sacred assembly in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, and you are not to do any daily work. This will be a day of joyful shouting for you. Offer a burnt offering as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. One young bull, one ram, seven male lambs a year old, all unblemished. With their grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, six quarts with the bull, four quarts with the ram, and two quarts with each of the seven male lambs. Also offer one male goat as a sin offering to make atonement for yourselves. These are in addition to the monthly and regular burnt offerings with their prescribed grain offerings and drink offerings. They are a pleasing aroma, a fire offering to the Lord. So you can see in this passage that there's quite a few offerings made to God. Quite a few animals involved in grains and other things that are part of this. And I don't know if you caught it, but he said, in addition to your regular. So there's regular offerings every day, bad offerings, okay? Then there's additional ones on Sabbath and additional ones on Day of Trumpets. And so this is the time the people, the, the shofar sounds, from what I've read, up to 100, 100 times they would blow the shofar um, for uh, the Day of Trumpets, all right? So a lot of shofar blowing. They had different signals, just like in battle. They had long ones, they had short ones, they had quick ones. And so these are a combination of all of these. 
And so what this ushers in is, is what um, some, some of the more contemporary um, Jews would refer to as the days of awe. Okay? And the days of awe has to do with getting ready for God's judgment. And this is where we begin to understand the parallel for you and me today. If you look up here again, you might not remember all the months, but it says Tishri up there, so that's the month we're talking about. Rosh Hashanah, okay, that's what we're, we're talking about, the trumpets. Okay, a little further down here on day 10, you'll see it says Yom Kippur, that's the Day of Atonement. And then over here at the end, it says Sukkot, and that's the tabernacles. There's our three. Now, you'll see across the middle section, it has a dotted line, and it says the Days of Awe. Now, here's what this is about. This is about the idea that God is coming to judge. And because God is coming to judge, his people need to get ready. Now remember what I said earlier about the book of Leviticus. God was going to come dwell in their presence, and so what do they have to do? People get ready. Clean hearts, right? Pure hearts, clean hands. What happens today and what happened over the, let's, let's say, um, Jesus and then the later than Jesus time period in Judaism, is they had this idea. Now, here's where you need to listen carefully so you don't misunderstand me. Okay? Here, here's where they and Christianity kind of part ways. All right? So this idea that God, he's coming, and he's judging, and he's got the books, and he's got the records of your rights and your wrongs. So during this days of all, they would use this as a time period of repentance and attempted to right their wrongs to get their name put back in the book of life. Now, as Christians, when we have the New Testament, and even I would argue the Old Testament supports this as well, that's a misunderstanding. Okay, You can't, by good works, get your name put in the book of life. For by grace are you saved, not through works. It's a gift of God, right? God's gift to us, right? Jesus, we're saved by, by grace through faith in Jesus. So this is an area where we part ways because we have our faith and trust in Jesus. He did what, what we could not do, and he paid the debt on the cross for us. So we get his righteousness put on us. Think of it this way. You take Jesus' coat and you put it on you, okay? But the coat is the righteousness of Jesus. And God sees you through that. And that's how you get to be part of God's family. All right? So this idea, though, that I want to connect with is this idea of repentance and respect or awe. We lack a respect and an awe of God the Creator in our culture and in our churches and in our own lives. And this is a calling that we need to reevaluate ourselves with seriousness because Jesus is coming back. No man knows the day or the hour, but we do know he is coming back. And if he is coming back, read the Gospels. Read Matthew 24 and 25 and following. What does Jesus say to those who are unprepared? What does Jesus say to those who are not paying attention and who are wasting their lives? who are sitting around being idle, or who are not doing his work, or worse, who are doing the work of the devil. He says, woe to you. 
So Jesus is coming back, and we need to understand that this, of the first of these three festivals in the fall, these times set up and pointed by God, okay, we need to take pause and reflect. When Jesus comes back and that trumpet blows, this is what we're talking about. Because right after that trumpet blows and he comes back, there's going to be a judgment. On the Day of Atonement, we'll talk about that next week. There's a judgment, Day of Atonement. What is atoning? Atoning is when things need to be made right. That's judgment. That's justice. Praise God that it comes with his love and mercy as well. And Jesus took that for us. We'll talk about that next week. But this idea of repentance and respect, this idea that Jesus is returning. And so I'm arguing to you today that this idea of Leviticus, of this day of trumpets, was a time for the people to gather around and reflect upon their lives, reflect upon what God is doing. And we need to be right with God. Before he comes back, before that day of atonement, we need to be right. Now maybe some of you have already received the benefit of Jesus' atonement. It's been applied to your life. You're a born-again believer. you got the Holy Spirit. Your sins have been washed away. Well, praise God. How's the rest of your life been? 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The continual sin that happens in your life. When Jesus was there with the disciples and he wanted to wash their feet. Why? Because their feet get dirty and grimy and dusty from walking around in their sandals in that day and age. And Peter's like, oh, wash all of me. Peter's like, but Jesus is like, you don't need all of you washed, Peter. Not if you're one of mine. What do you need washed? You need your feet washed because I got dirty from being in the world. Listen, if you've been saved, you don't need to be saved again. But you might need first time one nine. You might need to confess, which means to agree with God about some sin issues that might have happened in your life. You agree with God, that's what confess means, and what does he do? He wipes those away, he washes those away. Why do you have to agree with God? Because you've got to be on the same page with God. If you're not on the same page with God, you're not understanding. You've got to get on the same page with God. And so, as we close out this idea about what it means for the day of trumpets. Why don't you look at Revelation 20, verse 15. Jewish believers today still have this this idea, this understanding of, of there is a book. And there is a book. But we need to understand how we're in it and how we're out of it. And it's not by your good works. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. But Revelation 20, 15, the last book in the Bible, does say this. It says, anyone not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. If you're wondering what the lake of fire is, well, that's the eternal resting place of all those who don't know God. Hell and the devil are all thrown in the lake of fire. And so the lake of fire is not where you want to be. What you want to be is you want your name written in the book of life. Notice it's not the book of the dead. It's the book of life. What did God try to offer Adam and Eve in the garden? Life. What's in Revelation at the end in God's kingdom? Life. You want life or you want death? Read the book of Joshua. as they get ready to take the promised land that God promised them. Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. You do get to choose, people. And so as we look at this idea, and we've only scratched the surface. 
as a Christian of what it means and, and what this concept of, of trumpets, okay, this Rosh Hashanah, as the Jewish people would call it, what that means. You could have a new beginning right now. If you're not sure you've ever had your sins washed away, today could be your new beginning, a new year for you today. No, it's not January 1. A new year in Christ. A new year understanding that God is coming. And you'll be ready for him because you started your new year today. My new year was back in October 1993 when I accepted Christ. When a pastor explained from Scripture that it wasn't my works. I'd always thought my good would offset my bad. Nope, it's not going to happen, people. So let me pray for you all. Let me challenge you this week that what you do is you reflect upon your life. And you reflect upon whether or not you're living in such a way that you are ready for Christ to come back. If he came back tonight, would you be ready? If he comes back in the morning, are you ready? Is he going to find your life a wreck and a mess? Is he going to find in the middle of your life is some other idol that you haven't taken care of? Or is he going to find you ready? Is he going to find you doing his work and living as a lighthouse for the people that don't yet know him? Pray with me. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is still relevant today as it was the day that you gave it to Moses. We thank you, Father, that you have patience with us, but we know that there is a day. There's a day of reckoning. We know also that Jesus came. He judged sin and death at the cross. And what we simply need to do is recognize that and receive that gift. And God, I pray if there's anyone here today who has not made that decision, Maybe today will be that day, a new day for them. If you're here today, and that might be you, you can cry out to God from where you're sitting, where you're sitting, and cry to God and say, God, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize now that, that I can't do anything, good works, baptism, church membership. That's not going to pay for my sins. I realize that Jesus paid for my sins. That's why he died on the cross. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, Lord. Come in. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Give me your Holy Spirit to guide me and show me how to live my life. I want to be your child. I want to be in your kingdom. Take away all my rebellion, God. Make me one of yours. You pray that this morning. That's a new beginning for you. You've taken this seriously. You've taken the trumpet call seriously because it is coming. And my Christian brothers and sisters, if you've already had that change in your life, might you and I together reconsider our lives? Where have we gotten out of line? Where have things gotten astray? Where do things need to be reined back in? Where do we need to repent? Have a renewed respect and awe for God. Realizing that trumpet is going to sound. And Christ will come riding on the clouds. And we want to be ready. That he can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.